Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. One of the most valuable skills is learning how to sell. And I don't mean sales in the context of manipulation or any of those sleazy sales techniques. I'm talking about the old-fashioned art of bringing value to customers. I'd like you to attend How to Win Funds and Influence People. This is hosted by Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. Coming up on June 28th and 29th in Dallas, Texas, this is a must-attend event. If you've not attended before, you definitely want to make it there. For more information, go to realestateguysradio.com events. That's realestateguysradio.com events. We're back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. And this week we've been talking about golf and we have none other than the owner of a golf course all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to the show, Deborah Griffiths. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Victor. So Deb, you've owned Greensmere Golf Course for quite some time. Why don't you give us a little bit of the backstory, uh, how you came into the golf course and you, I know you've been in the business a number of years and we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, when, uh, my stepfather was a pro golfer and a golf course architect. And when we were growing up, of course, we worked on the golf course. And as we all grew, we got out of that business and had our own careers. Um, John had built a number of courses, but he wanted in the States and in Canada, but he wanted to build one for himself. So we call it his Millennium Project. I did the books for him while they were constructing, and then he lured me in. So I left my career. It was 18 holes, opened in 2001, another nine in 2008, and we went to a full 36-hole, two 18-hole championship-length golf courses on just under 400 acres in 2010. We we're also Audubon Sanctuary certified for golf courses, and we're only one of five in the auto area that are. Wow, that's amazing. Now, I imagine the business of golf has changed over the years, as it has all across North America what are some of the changes you've seen over the, say, the last decade? Well, yes, 11 years ago when the market dove in 2008, golf suffered just as, uh, as many things did because people's recreational dollars shrunk. Our competition is not only golf courses. It's movie theaters, bowling alleys, anywhere where people spend their extracurricular money. So people are also finding it difficult to spend half their day on a golf course and fit everything else in they have to do now because... Both couples are working and ha having children and with the children's extracurriculars, it's just hard to find that time out. So course operators are having to think outside the box by making available shorter games, more nine-hole times available, and other forms of revenue um, at our facilities like paint nights for women who want a night out, food and wine pairings for couples, um, celebrations of life. Um, and our club also decided through our chef to provide outside catering year round. So have you noticed a change in the demographics? Are there as many people coming into the game as are leaving? I know there have been various demographic reports around North America. What have you experienced directly? Well, it, it has changed since we opened. Um, at one time it was mainly um, late 40s, 50s and 60s people that were playing and all also predominantly men. But that's changed over time for, for juniors and for intermediate players because it's a form of sport 
where there's not a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Body abuse. Um, yes, you can pull muscles and that sort of thing, but it also helps you keep hockey players. They play golf in the summer because it keeps their body in shape while they're doing their, uh, their summer hockey and before they get back into their competitive. It's something that four generations, and in my case, there are four generations of us play together. There's my mother, myself, my daughter, and my granddaughter. So it's something, it's coming back. We're trying to bring more young people into the game. It's hard to get a concussion when you're playing golf. Put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. It's a safe sport. It is, it is. Talk a little bit about uh, golf courses and residential subdivisions. Obviously, that's a trend, certainly as you get closer into the city, to build residential subdivisions around a golf course. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is it something you've considered for your property as well? Uh, no. John's philosophy was always not to have houses on the golf course. Now, in saying that, along the roadway, on Bear Hill Road, along the roadway, there are eight lots that have had been sold off, but they front onto the road it's road proper. We have a long laneway coming off that road that leads up to our clubhouse and to our uh, to our parking lot. So do they I don't know, I think it's it's a tough industry and I think now owners and operators are doing what they have to do to either make a go of it or get out of the business. Um, and you do see that places are being sold for subdivisions. And there's a number of them around the Ottawa area that we've known for years that is the route they will be taking. It's just a matter of time for development to come out to where they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. What have you noticed over the last several years in terms of environmental regulations? Has that had an impact on your business? And if so, how? (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, And even just since our club opened, uh, the government has brought in we call it IPM, it's Integrated Pest Management, uh, Water Taking Permits, and Spraying Regulations. All of those are governmental um, implemented programs that carry annual government fees besides the audit that we have to go through. But in most cases, these were already self-regulated as the costs involved are enormous. For example, people always thought that you sprayed the golf courses full of chemicals just so that the grass would be beautiful. Well, not so. Those, those uh, chemicals are so expensive. And most of the spraying are fertilizers. And the cost for both chemicals and fertilizers is huge. So as operators, we use them very sparingly, and we only use them when necessary. We used to be able to apply for our own water permits. Now the government wants us to have an engineering firm sign off on them for us. Well, I, I completed our first two, but lo and behold, new regulations so I complete this huge document and everything's recorded. Like we can only, on our particular golf course, we can only use our water from May 1st to October 1st. And we can only use so many gallons per day, regardless of what the weather is. And you can't, if it rains, well, and it has, it's rained most of May. You can't add that on to June or July if you needed it. It's per day. And that's it. So they've really, they tie your hands in a lot of ways. 
And then don't even get me started on Bill 148 for the province, like bringing in uh, um, ways and means of um, recording payroll and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it gets to be a bit much. <laughs> I, I, can, I can hear that. So the traditional concept of riparian water rights that dates back to British common law, what you're saying is that that doesn't apply to golf courses. No, does not. Amazing. Amazing. I it's, know. Like we, we, we say we don't own the land. We're just renting it from the government because everything we do on that property is regulated by them, whether it's provincial, municipal, or federal. And I agree the water, you, we have to take care of our water. We have to be careful. But there are so many industries that aren't, don't fall under those regulations. And on top of that, golf is the only sport in Canada that you, you if you came and played at our golf course, you cannot use that as a business write-off. It's the only sport. And we've been lobbying that for years to no avail. Fascinating. I know, isn't it? <laughs> now, a lot of courses are private, and some of them have gone mm -hmm. the semi-private route as memberships have been falling. Yes. Your course, is it a public course? Is it a private course? How is it structured? It's always been structured as semi-private. We do, we always wanted to have a good membership, membership base, and we do. We have just over 400 members, but we are also open to green feed players. And we're also open to tournaments. So we have, uh, we have quite a range. And with 36 holes, we can do that. And from your knowledge of the golf industry as a whole, is 400 a good number to sustain a, a club? Is it, is it not enough? Is it really solid? What, what are your thoughts? For the size of our course, we'd like to go to 500. And we have, we're growing in baby steps over the years. Our membership has grown each year. You lose some due to death, due to illness, due to, you know, going to some other, or to injury, or going to some other sport. But in, our membership has been increasing, I'm going to say by anywhere from four to 15 people each year, which is good. That's very good. And if you had to break down the cost structure of a golf course, what would you say your top three expenses are, just as a category? Just right off the top? Well, First thing would be wages, and then it would be, I'm going to say, the uh, care of the course itself, the maintenance. That makes sense. Well, Deb, this has been very, very educational. On the show, we've been talking about the trend of a lot of golf courses closing their doors. About 2,000 have closed their doors in the last 12 years in North America. I'm sure you're aware that it was a big number. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew it was that big a number, but it's that is the number. And it's something that we're paying close attention to because oftentimes a golf course is worth more as development land than it could be worth as a golf course business. And uh, That's true. And, you know, we're seeing that in a number of discussions that are taking place around the city and other communities. So that's why we're kind of paying close attention to this. Well, I'm glad you are because it needs um, it, it needs some attention. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And for the listeners at home, if you're thinking about making an investment in a golf course, there are lots of resources out there on the internet, folks. There, there are organizations out there that specialize in marketing for golf courses. And if you'd like to learn more, feel free to reach out to Deb at 
greensmere.com. That's G-R-E-E-N-S-M-E-R-E.com. That's greensmere.com. And have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>